everybody. Welcome to the new year. We are recording this in 2023, but you will be hearing this in 2024, which is incredible. Incredible. So see you next year will already have happened. We are so delighted to be with you. We are recording this on Friday, post-Christmas, the post-Christmas Friday. Tim Stafford, before we got on air, declared that he'd been celebrating the 35 days of Christmas because that's, right. that's how long it feels. Um, we, we, had, we had maybe the lowest key Christmas in the history of low-key Christmases. So Seth, our, our youngest, you know, almost all of you know Seth. Seth, Seth is, he's on a kind of a advance and plateau sort of developmental situation. And so he'll have these, these, like, he'll jump up to a new plateau and then he'll just kind of stay there for, for a while. He jumped up to a new Christmas space this year. Seth Erie um, typically opens two presents and goes and wanders off and is bored. But this year, he not only wanted to open all of his presents, he wanted to determine the order where, uh, by which everyone else opened their presents. And then he would surround himself with his presents once they were opened and sort of just take an accounting of them. And it, we, were, we were just cheering it on. We were absolutely cheering it on. And then the next day, not that anyone cares, but it was his birthday. 15 years old is wow. the Sether. And we gave him maybe the greatest day in the history of his young life. So just not that anyone, this is just you and me talking. Um, he got up and he got a mango smoothie and McDonald's pancakes, yeah, his yeah. favorite breakfast. We then um, took him to um, uh, bowling. And when we say we took him bowling, there's an arcade attached to the bowling alley where Seth Erie goes through $40 of tokens like nobody's business. <laughs> we're shooting baskets. We're playing air hockey. We're trying to win tickets. I mean, it's a thing. And he's, he's just... You know, it's, a, it's awesome. Um, after that, we had Chick-fil-A. Again, another favorite, of course, restaurant on the way home. Then we have, so we have, a, we have some friends whose sons have a band. It's called Postcard Propaganda. Love it. And yes, they're great. And, and so they played at a little festival we did at our church a couple of years ago. Seth fell in love with them and totally idolizes, you know, one of their kind of co-founders, uh, a young man named Andrew. Andrew and the other co-founder, Luke, came over to our house in full band makeup and, you know, gear, um, electrified, like brought their amps, like everything, and did a, and allowed Seth to play a concert with them That's for That's so 20 cool. minutes. And so Seth was going... I mean, his little, his, his sensory <laughs> registers at that point were so overloaded. He didn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> and then to end the day, I mean, he's like, this is, this is then to end the day, we went to Red Robin, which is his favorite, favorite uh, dinner place. So, so Seth theory, by the time we got home at like nine o'clock, he was so mean and grouchy because <laughs> <laughs> there his joy registers had been had Just been the, the circuits had been blown bro there was nothing left it took him two days to recover so that's been our week it's been it's been absolutely amazing that's so fun 
Yes, and and what's 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 incredible is that our older two kids are so are just in it all the way with him. Yeah, like they love just, him very very well. Oh, oh, we're just all in, and yeah. we're just laughing and giggling and carrying on and being silly, and it's just the best. So anyway, um, can you top that? Can you no. top that this week? I kind of want you to plan my birthday though this year. Oh my goodness. Well, let's see if I, when is your birthday? April 2nd. Okay. I got this. First thing we would do is we would find a spirit of Halloween store that is still open in the U S <laughs> in the middle of in the beginning of April, in the m- middle of April, we would go visit <clears throat> that store. We would then go, we would probably go tour some sort of distillery. Um, cause you love that stuff. That's right. And yes, and then and then have a have a flight of whatever it is that we've just toured in a cemetery. Um, <laughs> I would see if Oingo Boingo would get back together again. Love it for one last April second show um, in uh, Irvine Meadows, which is you know now called Verizon Amphitheater, but it's that's back right. in the day. So that would be that's that's just my first. Yeah, it's my that's first a good pass. It's a good first pass. Um, so we're doing great. We hope you guys had a, a good holiday or you at least survived it and that the vast majority of you are still healthy um, because holidays seem just like a wonderful time for the families to share sicknesses. A um, couple <laughs> of true. business items. First of all, busyness. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. I'm a business First of man. all, Thank you for those of you who have joined Patreon and given and all the things that we talked about over the last several weeks. That's incredibly grateful and generous of you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, secondly, we're still getting um, requests for the nonference and the church hurt sort of uh, things and interest in all of those things. So continue to send us emails if that sounds interested to you. We will, um, we're mailing or emailing back questionnaires for the nonference just to get some background um, because we do have limited space on that. And, um, and then lastly, I just am super excited about what we did in 2023. Um, and we launched a very, very mediocre YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> we have had, as the kids would say, the content has been mid and um over the course of the year and yet we're still here and to our utter shock and amazement we're just people the cockroach still this. podcast just yeah you turn on the lights we go scurrying into the corners but as long as it's dark <laughs> we're great that's right um so anyway all that is to say thank you thank you thank you tim i'm uh, this i just thought of this yeah but it, l- let's do a year-end brief review of two white middle-aged men in therapy (laughs) is there could you identify one area in therapy over the last year where you've either been kind of woken up into something or you've become kind of aware of patterns or you're like oh my goodness this is a huge life-changing insight or whatever Oh man, there was quite a few. I think we've talked about some of them. I she has really leaned into uh, people who have put me in boxes my whole life, and mm. um, kind of people who didn't acknowledge true facets of m- me, and instead tried to like impose ideas mm. of me onto mm. me. 
Mm. Sounds confusing. So this is supposed to be 2024 is supposed to be a year of really leaning into just I have to create as much as I can, but it also has to be made public. I can't just create and keep it to myself. I have to create it and put it out there for other people Ooh. to experience, whether it's like being sold or just seen or whatever. It just has to be public. I love so that's that. Been, yeah, it's been I felt very seen by here. What, what else? There's something else that was really hmm. profound. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll see if it comes back to me. But it's just, yeah, great year for it. therapy. It was a great year of therapy. Well, and, and by great year, we don't mean fun year. We don't no. mean easy year. But constructive. Mean, yeah. Anybody who's yeah. been in therapy has probably at least had one or two. I don't want to say bad therapists, but maybe therapists that <clears throat> didn't, they didn't fit, fit well with yeah. them. And I've had that experience where you go in and lay all your cards on the table and the person just kind of stares at you blankly. And you're like, oh, maybe I really am broken. So it can kind of have like a, a reverse effect of what you desire out of therapy if you mm. just aren't matched. I think people are also, I've at least in my experience from people I've talked to, some people can feel afraid or um, like they don't want to, or they just don't they think it's against the rules or they don't want to hurt the person's feelings by saying, I don't think this is a good match and mm -hmm. looking for somebody mm -hmm. else like they feel guilty about that or they feel oh like for sure beyond therapy and yeah it's very normal to be paired up with another human being that doesn't fit with you and it's okay to say you know what this is this isn't working for me i'm gonna find someone else they'll be that. okay the therapist will be okay i was talking to my therapist about that very thing and we were talking about how whether it's it's instant or relatively, you know, immediate or it, it happens over time. Uh, he was saying that most uh, patients, yours truly included, will, will begin to reenact their family of origin issues in their relationship with the therapist. Therapist, yeah. So if you had, if you were in a, in a family where you couldn't, your no wasn't respected or mm -hmm. you were trying to please people, then you're going to have a tough time firing your therapist. Absolutely. I've seen that with friends who have, you know, they have a, like a people pleasing complex. And mm -hmm. so they only tell the therapist what they think the therapist wants to hear. Totally. Uh, and, totally. and, you know, so then you're not, you're not really getting down to the, the nitty gritty or the kind of no. the hurt that's in you. You're just trying to make sure that the therapist feels like they're doing a good job or, or whatever. And totally. It's, totally. Yes. But, but it happens. I mean, it could be passive aggressive. It could be totally, you know, like whatever attachment style you sort of have that you get, you bring that in and apply it to your therapist. And it's just yeah. the therapist patient relationship to me is endlessly interesting because I'm, yeah. I'm in it and learning it. And, and, but I'm also like, as someone who is quote, in vocational church work, yeah. like there is a bit of that that happens in churches too. It was funny where she told me that the, my spiritual gift was helping people unravel. Perfect. <laughs> I think that yes, people in sweaters, I think are, are both very true. I think you're, well, I would agree with that because I think you're also the great unraveler yourself. Like, yeah, she was like, you, you, your job is to go help people kind of take things apart mm. and make it safe for them to unravel their mm. whatever it is, their inherited faith or whatever, things like that. And I was like, ah, oh, that's interesting. I do find myself, I often feel guilty about that though. Why? I feel like I, well, because it's like, uh, 
I get worried that because for me, when we've talked about this a little bit, but for me, it's it's I'm comfortable like wiping the table clean and just looking at it and, and trying to find out what the actual truth is. Like I, mm -hmm. it doesn't freak me out to kind of question the universe, yeah. but it, it took me a little bit to realize that other people are wired differently. And if you pull the rug out from under them, like you're pulling the rug out from under them and they're, mm. and so mm. it can be terrifying to all of a sudden be in a mm -hmm. place where it's like, what do you mean it's, it isn't this way or it isn't this way or yeah. Yeah. What do you mean there might be more and they yeah. feel afraid or something. And I, so it's, I get nervous that I have mm. like harmed people by mm. uh, creating space for them to ask or, or just by asking big questions. Like, mm. you know, me asking the questions makes them be like, well, what do you mean by that? And it's like, oh no, maybe I should have approached this softer yeah. or differently or yeah. something like that. But yeah, I think she's right. I do. I've always kind of tried to pick at things to, mm -hmm. to get to a, a, a deeper truth. Well, mm. I really see that in you. And She's and good. because you do it so gently, it makes it safe for lots of other people. As long as they don't hear actually that? pull that rug out. Do you hear that, Tim? That is the sound of several hundred Voxology listeners, if we have that many, crying <laughs> out in unison saying, yes, that's who you are. So that's awesome. I love that. Thank you. That's Thank so you encouraging, man. Me. Yeah. Absolutely. Therapy has been, I mean, it's been very hard, but it's been very encouraging for me. I appreciate hearing that from our audience that they're interested in the things that we're learning in therapy and that yeah. this has been a helpful, because it feels, I don't know. I, I mean, the goal of this is to try to normalize mental health. And, well, yeah. And just, yeah. And, 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 and recognizing that a fundamental part of the masculine journey, like, is <laughs> is coming to terms with all of the cultural inheritance of what it is to be quote manly or from the church what it is to be manly and and you know I just I, I realized one of the you know one of the things that's been true of me forever has just been I'm I'm secretly terrified I'm weak mm. so I've had this just sense of shame and I, whenever I would express things I was sensitive about in some context, I would get shamed for doing that. And so I just learned, you know, to fake strength. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you know, vocational ministry is a great place to hide when you want to project strength. <laughs> absolutely, totally. So, so, you know, the thing that's been so revealing for me is all of the ways <laughs> that I'm complicit in the Christian project of dehumanizing people. Yeah. So, oh, so, so the, yes. So not the Jesus project, the Christian project. Right. And so I've, I've been learning a lot about, cause my, my, my therapist and he, it just drives me insane. He's just like, well, what do you want today? I don't know. I had an appointment and I'm paying you money. <laughs> totally. And so, you know what I mean? He's like, but what Absolutely. do you want? I have no idea what I want. I have no clue what I want. It was never a question I was taught to ask, and it feels yeah. selfish even to ask it. Mm. Right? The question that I should be asking is, what does God want? Right. You know what I mean? I can't trust what I want. And so we just go back and forth um, with, and, and, and there's, truth, there's truth all over those positions. No, no question. It's not an either or. But I've just seen how complicit I am in the way that I've talked about 
or even experienced Jesus. Like yeah. I've, I've realized so much of my Jesus following has been shame management. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, you, I know you say, oh, yeah, that's brand new to me. That's like, what? Well, I think it is for a, a lot of us in the last maybe 10 or 15 years as purity culture has kind of crumbled and 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 really a lot of the cultures that were around that one they were all shame based they were all like how do you you know you're not enough um everything you do is wrong yourself but i was attracted to that because of the base because of the shame that was already there i think well yeah so i fit in so that that's the part i i can easily look at the church and look at Christianity, quote unquote, and say, that's the problem. But then the next step for me has been, okay, where's my complicity in that? And what have I gotten? What have I received from my complicity in that? Well, even yesterday, did you see on Twitter, there was a whole thing going around with that pastor that was like, I I had to go and he's a conservative pastor and podcast host. He's got a decent following and handlebar mustache and he went out and he's Ooh. like I, I had to go and finally tell a girl a woman in my church to cover up because she wouldn't wear a bra to church and she was just causing men to stumble and so it started this whole um mm. twitter conversation around like men need every to take responsibility months. for every it's not months. the women it's the men yeah and uh, and he's like no it's both like she needs to know that this is what she does men yeah have to control themselves but mm-hmm. and i was just like man it reminded me of just how much I've fed into that, me being the victim. Um, I, you know, women, I just, you know, we, it's our, it's our burden as men. We're just such like blah, blah, blah. And we can't help ourselves. Mm. So, you know, and, and like, and that feeds into the Billy Graham rule and it feeds into other things like that. And then coming to that realization where it's like, A, that's not accurate. And B, I have partnered in that, whether it's out of shame or out of a mm-hmm. desire to uh, hold the weak, the weakness, um, like card, but in a, in a unconstructive way and a deconstruct, I don't know, yeah. but like a, yeah. And so like, just being like, no, this is not how this is. And all this does is just strip women of any autonomy whatsoever. And also mm-hmm. kind of agency from ourselves and saying like, we can't, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. no ability to function. We're just like these, you know, machines yeah. or whatever. So there's uh, a third step for me though, in that. So the step one is being aware of the system and what the system does. Yeah. Step two is recognizing my complicity in the system. Yeah. And then step three, and this is the ball kicker, if I can use that language. Um, step three is how I've benefited from yeah. my complicity in the system. And that's the one that's just the, yeah. insane. Insane. And it's only a mark of how gracious Jesus is. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's it's just absolutely insidious. Well, so, with all the platforming that went on during Christmas with Christian nationalism and different things, there was a couple of people that came out and they're like, Jesus advocated, not, or it, like the tenets of what it meant, like who was blessed. It wasn't mm-hmm. the strong and the powerful, it was the meek and the, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just kind of reminding like this grandstanding that you're doing, yeah. this is not Jesus. And it's very, very, it's opposite, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a reminder that we need during a lot of these seasons where it's like, I don't know, you know, putting Christ back in Christmas or in Christianity <laughs> or whatever. Yes, goofy. Yes, yes. But but again, 
I can't just sit there and look at the Christian nationalists and say they're the problem. I've got to look at how have I benefited from a kind of Christianity that, you know, da 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 da. And that's Christianity. It's being white. It's being male. It's being heterosexual. It's yes. Well, for me, those I wrestle with all of those because I see that's what I see a lot. I see how I have whether it was willingly or unwillingly held that position over a lot of people and systems no, I get that, that benefit me. And I, and I, and I, I totally agree. I'm speaking of the un, the subconscious totally benefits of, and not even, not even uh, what I'm talking about is even how you talk about Jesus or how you preach or how we structure our churches or how we do theology. It's not just, I want to locate and appreciate my social position as right. someone who has privileges that other people don't. Yes, that's true. And that that's a huge step forward in recovering, you know, a biblical hermeneutic and all the things we totally. talked about. But there's a step that's more cutting towards me because I've spent my life leading large and being a part of large successful churches. Um where I've I've had to go, wow. So not it's not just that I had shame, I came into a shaming culture, but then I somehow benefited yeah. from that. Like it, it, guilt. my false self was rewarded yeah. into that. My real self was, you know, I mean, that's the that's the the thing for me. So I try to I'm trying to take it out of the ether of Christian nationalism and all the things that, you know, we look around the world and go, man, that's really concerning. Right. There's just this, holy cow, I just didn't realize, you know, how much I've used Jesus for other things. And again, not maliciously, I don't think. And I don't even mean to like whip myself in the back. It's just, it's just waking up and realizing, oh, I've never really enjoyed Jesus just for Jesus. I've, Hmm. I've enjoyed Jesus as, you know, a means to some other end. None of that is surprising. No one in the world is going, ooh, that's revolutionary stuff. But when you see the patterns and the ripples, then you're like, oh, okay. I really, I'm glad there's been an unraveling. Yeah. You know? And that seems like the right work, right? Like we're not necessarily all called to like the large revolutionary work. It's the, often it's the little work. How does, how does what you're talking about affect your, you? How does it affect your family? How does it affect your community, your small church that you're at now? Like... That's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's the revolution. See, that's the, see, I keep thinking we're going to write a book or we're going to have a podcast. We're going to do something that's just going to change. And, and I'm like, eh, you know, I don't know that that's even the goal, uh, or that should be the goal. I I'm like, I just, I guess for me, I just want to more faithfully walk in what's real and true. Yeah. You know, and even if and that, so that stuff, f- other stuff does end up being true, that's the best place to start. Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. That's where I trust the revolution stuff. And so, you know, we've talked about, you know, you never trust anybody who, who doesn't have a limp. Oh. Um, and I, I just think that's true. Not a, not a performative limp, but like a limp of they've suffered, they've wrestled. Everything can be made performative. Yeah, I, so true. So true. Anyway. All right. Well, that was a longer conversation than, <laughs> but not not surprising, not surprising. Um, all right. So, Tim, Revelation. Yeah. Oof. 
it's it's coming to an end. I want to spend a couple of episodes talking about new creation um, because this doesn't get enough press, and um, so I want to I want to cover maybe the same material two or three episodes from different angles, yeah. um, because in a very obvious sense, the end and the beginning match up poetically and narratively in ways that should reframe all the stuff in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're going to just do a very straightforward, you know, thing today. And then I, I want to do a couple of other things. And so, so there's going to be some repetition and, and there's some repetition from things we talked about before on the podcast, but it, it seemed fitting as we end revelation to not just say, yep, it's new creation and, you know, giddy up, you know, case closed, let's go to Leviticus or something. Um, <laughs> but to, to maybe marinate in this yeah. a bit, you know, more than what we normally do. All right. So before we start, and we'll see how far we get today, because I mean, not surprisingly, there's, there's a big buildup before we get to Revelation 21. <laughs> and we're going to start shockingly in Genesis 1. So the Bible opens... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, every single word in that sentence in English um, can be misunderstood. So like you take the first word, in the beginning, and that sounds like what we're about to read is the beginning of a sequence in, uh, in a, of a point that's going to lead us into a chronology of other sequences in a linear fashion. That's not always what the word means. The word means in other places, hey, way back when, when God started beginning, when God started creating, this is what he did. Hmm. It, it, it has zero interest in giving you when it happened. It has all the interest of saying, hey, before we get to the stuff I really want to talk about, just as a reminder, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? right? That <clears throat> You're not asking... An ancient person would not be asking, well, how long ago was that? Or how did that happen? An ancient person would be going, oh, way back when, when God started creating, he created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Now, there's a whole podcast we could do just on that word. It's ridiculous. Even the word created, even the word God, Elohim, is a whole <laughs> word. So, so let's talk about heavens and earth, though, because in English... I hear the word heaven and I immediately think of some other spiritual dimension of disembodied bliss. Right. So it happens after you die, your soul goes there, you're disembodied, it's up in the clouds, it's floaty, it's ethereal, and um, it's some other place than the physical world. And that's what I think of when I think of heaven. Yeah. When I think of the word earth, I think of the word, I, I think of a globe. I think of a, a blue marble in space, in surrounded by darkness. Yeah. The biblical writers, not surprisingly, would have thought neither of those things. For them, the word heaven here is the word for sky. It just, if you're if you're an ancient writer and you're looking up, the word you use there is the word sky. It's just what's up there from my point of view, down here. Mm -hmm. And earth literally means land, 
So it's the stuff I'm standing on. So for the biblical writer, in the beginning, God created the sky, what's up there, and the land, what's down here. That's it. It functions as a merism, which is a Hebrew expression that we have them in English too, where if I said, hey, everything from A to Z, you would realize a merism is when you define something by its poles. So from A to Z means it has everything. Yeah. Or the alpha and the omega, right? It's all the letters of the Greek alphabet. So heaven and earth is just a way of saying, hey, in the beginning, God created everything. And the, the, the poles are the heavens, what's up there, and the earth, what's down here. All right? Yep. So we have to start with that understanding of heaven in mind, or we misunderstand what's being said when we talk about new heavens when we get to Revelation 21. So let's do a little, let's do a jet tour of, of heaven um, and earth. Flyover. Let's do a flyover, fly through perhaps. In Genesis 2, the Lord God formed a human from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the human became a living being. Verse 15, the Lord God took the human and put the human in the Garden of Eden to take to work it and take care of it. Now, to work it and take care of it, those are Hebrew words that are used of priests in the temple, right? So this is mm-hmm. actually, this isn't like agricultural work, although that's what it is, but it's described as priestly work. And so there are a bunch of images and we could spend, man, you, maybe this should, should be one of the things that we do. The, the Genesis 1 and 2 paints a picture for us of, of a cosmic temple with a garden at its center where God dwells and image bearers that literally the word image means statue. So so all ancient Near Eastern temples had images of the God, visible representations of the God. Well, the humans are the visible representations of Yahweh. And so you get a picture of a cosmic temple where God dwells with his image bearers, the humans, in intimacy, heaven and earth, there's no separation between them. It's just what up, what's up there and what's down here. Yeah. And, and you have a, a, a verse like Genesis 3.8. The, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, no idea if he's walking in the garden or if that's an ancient Near Eastern word picture or whatever. But what it connotates to us is that heaven and earth were... Like there was no separation between them. They were just fully overlapping. The God space and the human space were just together. I love how that's written though. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Oh, it's, yeah. I've like sat and thought about that image so many times over. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So, so what the, the, the picture you get in Genesis one and two and into some of three is that, the realm of spiritual beings and the realm of human beings, it's just all one realm. It's yeah. just the heaven and earth space. It's God space and human space altogether. In Genesis 3, of course, there's some sort of rupture in that space, right? This spiritual being, this snake, this serpent, who belonged in the heaven and earth space, pulls some stunt, and you know we could spend hours talking about that, But the result of that rupture is that the Lord God banished the man and the woman from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
So there's some sort of closing off of the Eden space, the heaven and earth space. Now there's this inter, there's this other space that's introduced, which is outside of Eden. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it's just this interesting geographical picture of something that's happening sort of spiritually too. There's this rupture between the God space and the heaven space versus the earth space and the human space. Yeah. Now there's some sort of barrier between them. And and we could spend time, you know, talking about all of the ways that the rest of the Bible talks about this rupture. Like Paul in Romans 8 talks about how creation itself is under bondage to decay, waiting for the liberation of the human image bearers. Yeah. So so the, the earth space is now corrupted just like the humans are. You know, it's yeah. just this, it's just an interesting picture. But now what the Bible does is it speaks of the heavens and the earth differently. So the heavens still can mean skies, but heaven becomes a metaphor for God's space and earth becomes a metaphor for human space. And now instead of them being spoken as like joined at the hip together and fully overlapping, now they're distinct spaces. Yeah. So the psalmist in Psalm 115 will say, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to humanity. And so, and then later biblical writers flesh this out, the, the heavens. And again, it's not saying God is up in the sky and that's where God lives. It's using a spatial metaphor. And we use those all the time in American circles, right? So if I say, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, right? The, the spatial metaphor is that climbing up is better than starting low, right? If I, when Drake says, I started from the bottom, now I'm here, right? The bottom is the, like, that's not the place of glory. That's not the place of, of status. That's not the place of importance, right? It's, it's why um, in office buildings, the most important offices are always on the top floor. Like space communicates importance. Yeah. So when biblical writers want to communicate God's transcendence, his majesty, his beauty, they will use the word heaven, all right? Which is a metaphor or a picture for God's space. When they want to talk about human space, where the humans and the, and the creation itself now lie sort of enslaved and corrupted, they'll use like the world or this present age or um, the earth. Um, and, and so that's the language is different after Genesis 3. And you have now heaven being, it's not that God lives in the heavens, just in the sky. And even when you'll get Old Testament stories where saying a voice called out from the heavens, that just means there was literally a voice from the air next to you talking. Yeah. And that's our part of our job 2000 years or whatever for this, but, and understand with the reading other, reading uh, other people's mail, old stuff, the black mamba reading like, yep. Yep. People 2,000 years from now looking back and seeing the Lakers killed the Celtics and being like, what? They used to go to yeah. murdering basketball games and there's a giant Lakes, snake that... How do... Yeah, well, Lake, <laughs> were Lakers some sort of... Some sort of... Yeah, the, the email that... I, it was just an email that said, yeah, the, the, the black mama led the Lakers to a come behind you know, victory and they killed the Pistons or something. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. 2,000 years wow. later, you'd, you'd have to gnarly. be like, 
Yeah. <laughs> wow. This was this was this was the site of a battle. Yeah. And evidently there was a snake there, and you know you'd be just totally confused by all of the cultural references that yeah. we just take for granted. Well, this is what Genesis. This is why Genesis is so hard for American readers. We're 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 predisposed to read this in terms of science and how yeah. long ago and how did this happen? And those are not right. the questions that are answered in Genesis one through two. It's it's why. Why is this here? That's yeah. the question that's answered. But that's a whole different it's a whole different series someday. So what we have after Genesis 3 is some sort of rupture between the human space and the God space. And uh, we, we know that God exists everywhere, but God doesn't manifest his existence everywhere. Now, the word manifest doesn't mean I speak something into existence. The word manifest means um, that God reveals his reality so that humans can sense him through their five senses. So we know God's everywhere, but there are times in the Bible where you see his presence, or you hear his presence, or you can touch or taste his presence. So for instance, um, Jacob, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. That just means it went into the sky. And angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God speaks to Jacob and says, dude, I'm going to keep this promise to you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in, this, is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. So even after the rupture, this is in Genesis 28, even after the rupture, there are places where God will manifest his presence. And you'll get, you'll get a, an overlap of God's space and earth space, you know, human space. So Jacob had one of those like overlapping moments where although God is everywhere, like he has this vivid dream and he literally calls the place the house of God, Beth El, so that to, to memorialize this, this is where I saw spiritual beings. Does that make sense? So, so Genesis 1 and 2 present heaven and earth as these overlapping spaces. There's no separation between them. It's God and humans together. Now, there's some sort of rupture. And now the God space is described as the heaven space, and the human space is described as the world, the earth, this present age, whatever. So you get verses like Isaiah. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. So it's just looking at the sky and saying, that's a great picture of God's transcendence over everything. It's not that God literally lives in the sky. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The Lord established his throne in heaven. So heaven becomes a metaphor for his rule and authority. It's a place where his will is done as opposed to the earth, where sometimes his will is done through image bearers and sometimes it's not. Another place where we get an overlapping heaven and earth space in the Old Testament is Moses in the burning bush. Yeah. And it's always surprising because you're just in ordinary space and all of a sudden something becomes holy ground, right? So the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw 
that though the bush was on fire, did not burn up. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So even though the heaven and earth space have been ruptured, there are still times in the biblical narrative where they overlap momentarily, right? The Jacob story and the Moses story are two examples of that momentary overlap. The bush didn't stay holy ground forever, right? Right. And, and, and that Bethel, you, it, you didn't just show up there and you got dreams like Jacob did. Make sense? It was a yeah, momentary Yeah, and is that part of the, the <clears throat> how, how did you just phrase it? Like the, it's not the how or the what, it's the why. Yep. So our tendency with a burning bush and that thing would be like, this is spectacular. And we would continue to focus on the bush after. Correct. Correct. And kind of make it an idol or, or whatever. That, totally. Totally. And we'd miss the why of what God was doing in that situation yes. instead focusing on the, whoa, this is crazy. Yes. And and we're, whoa, this is crazy kind of people. And that's why God gives us communion and baptism and all the signs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of his redemption. But you're absolutely right. And the Israelites are guilty of this. And so is the church, right? We're just people who would look at the vehicle through which God has spoken as the holy thing. Well, it's really Versus, hard not to think about all this during Christmas and driving by these multi-million dollar Christmas performances and just being like, you guys, what oh. is the why here? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So God then um, makes concrete a, a, a space where heaven and earth will overlap. Now, there are still instances throughout the biblical narrative where heaven and earth will overlap momentarily. But now he's going to make more permanent structures will heaven and earth will overlap. And those were temples in the ancient world. So God, God asks Israel to make a mobile temple, a tent called a tabernacle. And if you look at the instructions, the decorations are of like fruit trees and precious metals and stones. And it's designed to be reminiscent of the garden of Eden. Mm. So this is garden of Eden space where God and humans now dwell together. But because the earth space is polluted, there's a sacrificial system and a priesthood system that gets wrapped around Jesus, of course, in the New Testament. But that's the reason. This is all a picture of heaven and earth space now being opened up hmm. on the earth. But, but because of God's splendor, transcendence, majesty, there has to be there has to be some a, a ritual, a purification that happens before you can enter into that space. Whereas in the Eden narrative, there was nothing needed. There was no, yeah. nothing needed. So now there's now there's a place called the tabernacle where the heaven space and the earth space overlap. And so you read at the very end of the tabernacle narrative, you read, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Again, the cloud is the manifest presence. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So now you have, right, space that's more permanent. You can carry it with you. Yeah. Now this gets even more permanentized in the temple, right, into Solomon's temple. And again, Solomon's temple, 
Um, there's a whole thing that you did to, you know, commemorate this and it's built to remind you of Eden and the whole, the whole thing repeats itself. And when, you know, Solomon, I think has seven petitions about the temple as he consecrates it. And then at the end of the seventh petition, the priests withdrew from the holy place. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. It's the exact same refrain that was yeah. given about the tabernacle, now given to the temple. All right? So now you have heaven and earth space that overlap. And it's predictable in a sense. It's regulated. It's, um, you can, can presume upon it in good ways and bad ways. Yeah. So good ways were like, hey, every year at this time we go up and we celebrate Passover and or the Day of Atonement where we receive forgiveness of sins. But the bad presumption of it is like in Jeremiah where people would excuse robbery and brigandry and just say, well, the temple's here, the temple's here, God must approve. Right. So the, the having a, a kind of a cemented temple in earth space was a good and bad thing, as you can imagine. Yeah. Now, when John wants to tell the Jesus story, John goes back and tells the Genesis story. All right, so in the beginning was the Word. Right. Now, now the Word here is not the Bible. Um, it's the word whoa, Logos. Whoa, whoa. I know. That's the word Logos. And, and Logos is it's, it's the Greek equivalent of a Hebrew wisdom tradition. If you go into some Proverbs and Psalms, even a bit of Job, I think, there is a, a wisdom tradition that sees God using wisdom in the creation of the world. And that wisdom was almost its own thing that, that was being used by God in creating the world. And so that, that gets wrapped into this idea of logos. It was something with God that helped create the world. So, so in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. This is, of course, where Trinitarians go, that's interesting. The Logos was with God in the beginning. Through him. So now the Logos, now the word Logos is masculine singular, but now it's, it's personalized as a, a masculine pronoun, a him. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is wisdom tradition from the Old Testament. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. And then the very famous punchline of this, which is staggering, is the word, the Logos, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, made his dwelling among us is the exact phrase that's used to describe the tabernacle mm -hmm. in Exodus 29. In fact, the word tabernacle is used here in Greek, in John 1. So the Logos tabernacled among us, which is John's very profound way of saying, this Jesus is a place where heaven and earth overlap in yeah. him. Right. Right, so you have a tabernacle space and a temple space, but now they've been supplanted by this Jesus space. So it's it's Jesus bearing in himself. And that's why his him being fully divine and fully human matters is because right. he is now the place where heaven space and God space and earth space and human space overlap. With, that's why you don't need, that's why he's described as a priest, as a temple and as a sacrifice. 
He's all, he's described as all three of those because that's yeah. what you needed to create, right? Space that was heaven and earth joined together space. Yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant in the yeah. way it, it unfolds. So Jesus, as the, the person and the space where heaven and earth overlap, he marches around, not staying uh, among the pure, but he marches around into the gritty, awful, bloody, dirty details of humanity. And he's just creating bits of heaven space wherever he goes, right? The, the, when he offers forgiveness, the reason he can offer forgiveness because he's the heaven and earth space now. The reason he can cleanse lepers that you would have to go to the temple, but he's now the heaven and earth space. So he can yeah. cleanse lepers, right? The, the rule the, the ownership of the earth that was held by this power and principality called the Satan, the reason the Satan is like vomiting up whenever Jesus is coming around is because there's a violent overthrow happening around the ownership of the earth. And Jesus describes this. He's overthrowing the strong man that has held the earth captive. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the heaven and earth space, instead of having to go to the heaven and earth space and be prepared through rituals and through sacrifices and mediated by priests, now the heaven and earth space just roams around freely through ancient Galilee, healing, raising people from the dead, no respecter of social boundaries or social ordering, no respecter of pure or impure, I mean, it's the most dramatic thing that has happened. So when Jesus came, he brought heaven with him. And that's the purpose of announcement, his announcement. When he says in Matthew, um, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Mark and Luke use kingdom of God because they're writing primarily to the Gentiles. Heaven would mm -hmm. be a confusing idea for them. Heaven isn't the disembodied space that's floaty and has streets of gold. The heaven space is the God space. It's the rule of God space. So the place where heaven and earth now overlaps is in Jesus, who is the kingdom of the heaven space. Does that make yeah. sense? That's why he reorients all of Israel around himself. If you have faith in me, you are now part of the heaven space. And so the church, not shockingly, gets talked about as building blocks of a new temple. They're the heaven and earth space, right? If you're in Christ, who is the heaven and earth space, you've become part of the heaven and earth space, right? Or Paul will say in Ephesians, you collectively are the temple. Yeah. So it's brilliant as to what's happening, all right? But there's this weird thing that happens at the end of Matthew where the disciples gather Jesus saw them and um, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, notice he uses the heaven and earth language. What Matthew is saying, I mean, or what Jesus is saying in Matthew's account is that heaven and earth are now for the first time since Eden under the same manifest management. In other words, the earth had been given over, but now it had been reclaimed by Jesus. 
So all authority or power has been given to Jesus, right? The prince of the earth, as Jesus calls him three times in John, has been thrown down. Or in Revelation, the dragon has been bound and tossed in the abyss. It's just, it's just awesome. So you have this weird story where Jesus comes as heaven and earth space, but he leaves and heaven and earth are united under one management team, but they're not fully rejoined yet. Right. So I was trying to right? think about, I was trying to like dumb down these images. Cause I wonder if a lot of this is like a failure of imagination on our part throughout history because we just take all this some like when you're going through the first part of john my brain just bringing up all these old messages that i heard from that mm. that were not what you just said mm. <clears throat> and how that's been distorted in different ways over time a bunch but like you have two realms that are together they coexist in genesis mm -hmm. they are ruptured and split and then we're looking and, but then even then we'll sometimes we'll ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we'll still mm. ask the whatevers. And then Jesus comes and links them, mm -hmm. but they're not fully conjoined. This is the now and not yet, right? This is yes, the, exactly. Jesus is, has linked these two realms back together, but he's also invite. So as Jesus goes and forgives, he also invites us to forgive and he also mm -hmm. invites us mm -hmm. to heal and invite. So he's also, almost like re-anointing the priestly yes. elements from the garden. Yes, which is uh, what the restoring image bearers is. Yes, exactly, exactly right. So he's doing, he's, he's beginning that conjoining or that rejoining of the two realms and inviting us as participants within that. And it is linked after he leaves, but it's still not fully overlapping space. Right. Correct. Exactly right, Timothy. Great summary. <laughs> but what's fascinating is that Jesus and Paul and Peter, even though all authority has been given to Jesus, both on heaven and on earth, they speak of a future day right. when there, there will be a, and then it's fascinating. In Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, ooh, Acts 3, Peter says, heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes for God to restore everything. So we have the restoration of everything, the renewal of everything. And then Paul in Colossians 1, and through Jesus to reconcile to God all things, whether yeah. things on earth or things in heaven. So you have this future. So you have, this is the now and the not yet. You have yeah. this victory where Jesus has disarmed and made a public spectacle of the powers. And we're still in a hostage negotiation or something, right? We're still in bondage. And there's this future moment that Peter, Paul, and Mary's boy, Jesus, that's funny, call the <laughs> renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, and the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. Now, the renewal of all things, literally the Greek word means to be the beginning again of all yeah. things, okay. which, is which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Restoration means return to its original condition, and reconciliation means to bring unity. So these are pictures or words that forecast the rejoining of the heaven and the earth. Yeah. 
So it's not a huge biblical surprise when you get to Revelation 21, finally, and you read this. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Next episode, we're going to talk about that. And there was no longer any sea. Why is there no longer any sea? Because the sea was what was, was in Genesis 1. It's what stood for the uncreated chaos right. of disorder. So there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and then the direction matters, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. Who's the bride? What's that? The city is. My dog is barking. Nope, that's okay. And the husband is Jesus. So the the city stands for the people of Jesus, and then Jesus is the husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Right? This is tabernacle, temple, incarnation language. Right there. It's literally what was telegraphed from page one. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So the Bible ends. And then, and then I mean, good Lord, the Eden imagery that's pulled forward in 21 and 22 is disgusting. Literally, read, I think it's Tim Mackey who says, read Genesis 1 and 2 three times. Read Revelation 21 and 22 three times. And just note all the parallels. Hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so, so the biblical story is a story about heaven and earth. It's not a story about rescuing souls from earth into heaven. Right. And I don't know how we missed that, but the, the story I was told from the very earliest memories I have of the Jesus story is that Jesus' goal is to get me out of earth and into heaven. And that heaven is the place where I'll live forever and earth is the place that will burn and, right. you know, and, and just be destroyed. So the, it, was, it was a bit of a big deal when I realized the whole direction of movement in the biblical story is God coming near. It's not humanity doing much of anything. It's God getting closer every single time, right? The purpose of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus looks at his followers, it's actually good that I'm leaving because now I'll be with you all, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not just right. As in a physical location, but now I'm universalized. I mean, it's, it's absolutely nuts. And so what new creation is, is exactly what old creation started out as, which is the right. joining, rejoining of heaven and earth. And... And the human beings are participants in that because we get newness too. We're part of the new creation too. And, and we'll talk more about what that means. But this is, what, this is what Jesus tells us to pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Right. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. This is the reverse of, of Psalm 115, where it says the highest heavens belong to the Lord, the earth he's given to humanity. Now it's 
Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Whatever's happening in the God space right now, we want in the earth space too. And by praying that, we're volunteering, we're putting ourselves forward as cooperative participants in that whole project. So the church... Again, it's so good how they go in and they ask them for this big nugget, and it's that simple little thing again, and it ties all that stuff together. Right. Yes. It's, it's genius. It's... So, so let's just make very obvious points that we've made before. First point, the biblical story is not about heaven and hell. We're going to spend more time on this. It's about heaven and earth. Yeah. Secondly, the biblical story isn't about the salvation of human beings. It's about the salvation of creation and its restoration, including human beings and their yeah. proper role in creation. Yeah. Thirdly, the movement is not God getting us out of here it's god coming down or us building a fourthly, tower to get there or, or yes, whatever yes fourthly salvation is embodied participation in new creation that's the goal that's what yeah. salvation is well, when you now, look at includes, how the rupture happens how the accuser how totally. temptation works how influence like i sent you and our mutual friend uh, that um excerpt from screw tape letters Oh, yes, and I was just like, was I need to reread that entire book now because it was one of my favorites early on. But now as this theology has changed or I've it, my theology has broadened, there's still some really interesting things in that book that will be framed a little differently now for me through the way that influence works and why it works. Yeah. yeah. And so you really see that, like you see the, the lineage that you just laid out of what the biblical plan is, what God's plan was and is and how the chaos and influence and um, temptation, accusation, all that stuff, how it works to detour that, Mm -hmm. to distract from that thing and to Mm -hmm. not cause the human Mm -hmm. flourishing or not cause Mm -hmm. the reconciliation. All you can see it pretty clearly throughout the whole thing. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it all makes sense. Like from page one to the last page. I mean, if it's true, you think it would, you know, Um, and, and it, and again, I mean, this isn't, this isn't new. This isn't new. Scholars have been saying these things for years. Some churches have been saying these things for years. This is not like brand new. Well, we just discovered this. Look at how smart we are (laughs) kind of stuff. But it is interesting how the hijacking of revelation, um, along and, and in participation with a certain view of salvation and the Mm -hmm. gospel, really conspired together to create an evangelical movement that I would suggest gave us a very hollowed out, shallow, and non-transformative version of the message of Jesus that has resulted in a lot of bad fruit that we're seeing. Bad fruit in us. The ripple effects are big for that. Yes, absolutely. So this is it, you know, and and future generations will look at us and go, yeah, but you guys missed this. Totally. Mm -hmm. We can only do what we know to do in our generation. But for me, allegiance, like what we just did for the last 45 minutes is the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus. Summarized by, hey, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's, that's what all of that means. So allegiance to that message cannot just simply mean accepting Jesus in my heart. Right. There's nothing in there about your heart and your personal believings Right? It's all about whether or not you actually participate in the project. 
Now, that includes our intellectual beliefs about what the good life is and what God's like and what Jesus is like. Of course it does. But how vacuous to argue about doctrinal statements and about whether they include good works in the world, yeah. right, as part of the gospel or not. How vacuous is all of that compared to the robust vision of, hey, church, you're the taster. At your best, you're the, you're the heaven and earth space that tastes ahead of time what's coming. You're the appetizer. So when we read about um, in new creation, there is no, you know, there are, it's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Well, that's the reason we care about that now. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? It, when when we're told in Revelation that we will reign with God forever and ever, and that reigning looks like the human vocations of image bearing, that's why we work on that now. Yeah. It's it's we're to be in the same way that Jesus was, because his spirit obviously we think is here, supposedly, it doesn't look like it all the time. But we're to be doing the works of Jesus, which were creating pockets where heaven and earth meet in really ordinary average circumstances and people. Yeah. And that's why so many of us are frustrated at the church. Now it's easy to be frustrated at the church and make the church the issue. It's a different thing for someone like me to go, okay. And this goes back to therapy. How have I been complicit in this and how have I benefited from it? Um, for me, my picture of what salvation is, faith is, grace is, like the whole story has just gotten so much bigger. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, it's the, it's the national park metaphor. It's, it's like I was in a gift shop for years reading about someone else's experiences of God. And then you enter into the national park yourself and you're like, good Lord, it's going to take me years yeah. to explore and it's every be wonderful. And it's going to be wonderful. And I can't believe I get to do it with these good people. Yeah. It's interesting, like when you're talking about the tabernacle space being dressed like Eden with the trees and and Mm -hmm. different things to try to, it's like where we are doing the same thing, but not in a decorative way, but we're trying to emulate and model and build what the garden represents. So that like the every tribe, like everybody being included and all this kind of stuff that we're supposed to be inhabiting now, that is the tabernacle space that we're building that emulates Mm -hmm. the crossover Mm -hmm. of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, and then then it's just the implications of what that means and how you do that, and totally, and that's that's what the word repentance carries exactly with it, is which that word the, just got it, so twisted around. It really it's such did an invitational, but, positive word, but I grew up yeah. and it was a negative word. It was the sh- it was a shame based. But how could we hear it? Like when I when I talk, I don't know how many conversations I've had with my kids about all of this stuff. And they still hear Jesus yeah. following as, yep. like I just don't think we're capable of cer- certain forms of moral reasoning mm-hmm. until we're developed. Oh, and yes. that's not a Absolutely. bad thing. I don't, I don't, that's not like, that's just like the difference between a, an adolescent versus a 50 year old person. Like yeah. their faculties are just more seasoned and developed. They're also more open to wonder. So there's an interesting balance between what it means to have the mind of a child and the mind of an elderly person. Totally. In this sense, I mean, it's almost impossible for my kids to actually hear this as anything other than legalistic rule keeping. Yeah. Like no matter how many times we talk about, you know, wisdom versus rule keeping or being connected um, 
to God versus whether or not you drank that day. You know, right. it just, it, it all gets boiled down. Yeah. And certainly the church is complicit in that, no question. But, um, you know, I have a tendency to think that, that perhaps one of the real gifts of growing um, in, in, in healthy ways is, is the ability to sit and appreciate every step that brought you here Mm-hmm. Without having to say every step that brought you here was good and, and healthy. Well, that seems to be part of the whole thing. Like for us as individuals in our time and place and life, but also this lineage that you just went through, like it, there's something to this journey. I don't know why God did it this way. Totally. And that, obviously no that's idea. a question that a lot of people have all the time and wrestle with, and it's a hard word, but mm-hmm. it is. And so there's something to this this wrestling match that we're involved in and how how it plays out and how we do it i mm-hmm. guess like the way in which we hold and compose and yeah like just exist within this narrative is important it's part of yeah. it's part of the thing yep so when i yep. you know grew up and like people are like i'm so like a youth pastor get like i'm so glad this is the earth is the only hell we'll ever know and i remember just being like man that's a a dour way to look at yeah. everything. Like there's something to this and there's yeah. something to who was just talking about. Oh, is it? I went to a little Episcopal church on um, two weeks ago and he was talking about suffering and just kind of the part, the role that suffering plays in the human story. Mm. Uh, and it was just, it's just an interesting thing to wrestle with and ponder. And it's, there's Good something mark. there. Yeah, yeah. There's no, something I, there that is. Yeah, that I went to. That was right after we had him on too. So it was that little theme was getting hit. Yeah, and it's like, well, there's something to this, and I know a lot of people who are suffering right now. And they're asking really hard questions, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. where is God in all of this? And I don't know how to answer those things other than just trying to do, other than trying to sit and shiva, like just trying to be mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. and ride that wave out with them as it goes. And I don't know, but it's it's all just endlessly fascinating. John Eldridge, who, I don't know, I, I, I have very mixed feelings. Uh, I, he seems like a really genuine, good person, but I have mixed feelings on you know some of the material, and who cares what Mike Erie thinks of John Eldridge? But <laughs> I, have a, I have a streak of cynicism uh, about people who hear from God a lot. I, I I have a theology and a belief that God does speak sometimes. Absolutely. I feel, I, I have a couple experiences where I go, hmm, it feels like God was speaking here. But I'm only sure about that in hindsight. <laughs> Never right. in the moment, you know? And uh, John Eldridge is one of those people who, um, you know, says that he hears from God a lot. And I'm naturally... Cynical about that. Yeah, skeptical is a better word, probably. But he tells a a, a mutual friend of John Eldridge's and and mine sent me a book that he wrote called All Things New, I think it is. And it's it's kind of a devotional. It's not a, I mean, it's not a devotional in the sense that it's broken up like, you know, one reading a day or something. But it's not a heavy theology read, but it's him wrestling with some of these things. And he has this encounter with God 
um, at his youngest son's high school graduation where he is grieving um, all the, the chapter that's closing, the 24 mm. years of three boys and the house that was just characterized by life and roughhousing and laughter and moodiness and, and that whole chapter's closing. He just, he said he was feeling just this deep, profound sense of, of loss. And um, he said God sort of spoke to him in that moment and said, you know, in the great restoration, nothing is lost. Even your sons will come back to you. And I don't know if that's, it, it's not, it's not unbiblical, but I got really emotional. Like even saying this, I'm, I'm super emotional at the idea that, that because human life is nothing but loss. Yeah. Um, you it's know, defined you, by loss. It, it, the whole thing. You lose your health, you lose your looks, you lose your smarts, you lose your friends, you lose your family. And yeah, of course, they're great things in the meantime, but like Job and Lamentations and like other great writers have it right. <laughs> it is hard. And the idea that the restoration of all things literally means the restoration of all things. And... Like, I don't want to believe that's true, but that's what I want to believe is true. It's not the destruction or burning away of all things. It's the that's restoration. Right. Those two things right. are very, very different. Different. Yes. They could not be more different. In yeah, how... they're opposites. And we, that's a, what a weird, uh, what a weird division that we made there somehow. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of hope in restoration. There's not a lot of hope in... There's only hope in the destruction and burning away of all things if it's if you have that right fire insurance. Right. But the, this right. idea of restoration right. and being made new and being made whole yeah. uh, is is a very hopeful idea and a very hopeful yeah. concept and yep. a hopeful design. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And if there are entities that don't want human flourishing and don't want human whatever, it makes sense to do everything in your power to distract and cause... <laughs> basically to cause the burning and burning away and destruction of all things. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see around the globe right now, just death and desolation and destruction of humanity. We're seeing daily on the news mm. and social media. Like you just see it happening. Yeah. Yep. It's a theory. Yeah. Speaking of new creation, get over here, son. He's been, he's been so quiet, so quiet. Come in here, son. Let's have you, let's have you end our podcast together. Do you hey, want to Seth, say hi to everybody? Happy belated birthday. Did you just have a big birthday? Yeah. I heard you did a lot well, of fun stuff. Dude, yeah. did we have so much fun. Yeah. Did we, I mean, how old are you? Let's just start there. How old are you? 15. Yes. Yeah, you are. 15. Yeah. Yep. And we have to shave. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, so many. Not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Does Tim Stafford shave? Yeah. I don't think so. I think he's got a nice old beard. Daddy did today. Yeah. I know. Anyway, Seth Theory, do you want to let people know how your Christmas was and how your birthday was? Um, it's good. <laughs> Perfect. All right. What should we do? You want to do Lord bless you and keep you, or do you want to do Shema? Oh, we're going to do both. Yeah, both. Yeah, yeah. All right, Vox, all yeah, you listeners, here we go. Let's do Shema.
Shema Israel, Anai Elenehu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor and yourself. Okay, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Amen. Amen. See you next time, guys. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. The Voxology Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is made possible by listeners just like you. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxologypodcast or on tithely, tithe.ly, search Voxology Podcast. You can interact with the hosts on Facebook backslash Voxology Podcast or on Instagram at Voxology Podcast and on Twitter or X, whatever it is, at Mike Erie. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking this long road with us.